This podcast is for grown-ups only. Some of the content may not be appropriate for little ears like mine. I guess I would want to ask Reporter Vaughn, do you know how many total suspects have been shot and killed by the police in the whole state of Wisconsin this year? According to the Washington Post database, and I might add, the Washington Post is very unfriendly toward the police. There have been six. This is Diaknos, a cop's calling. I'm Anthony Weaver, and this is episode 30, episode 30. On this episode, I have a brand new Cue the Dip segment, which moves me into laying out some thoughts about black lives that don't matter to BLM and why the social justice movement as a whole should be rejected and what the true way forward is. I'm rolling solo on this episode, uh, but if you are a patron of Diakonasa Cops Calling, in addition to this episode, you have a patron-only episode, uh, which is the last part of my conversation with Gary, and that is available on uh, for you right now on Podbean if you log into there and you are a patron. If you'd like to become a patron to listen to that episode and the others I have up for my patrons there, go to patron.podbean.com slash ACC and support me to get access to all that content. Hey, listen, last week, uh, Gary and I discussed January 6th, and I wanted to kind of double down on something we said during that episode, that being the belief that it was not an insurrection, but a riot. Quietly this summer, it was reported that none of these rioters are being charged with any sedition or insurrection crimes. Sedition is defined as conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch, and insurrection is defined as a violent uprising against an authority or government, which is usually an organized event. In August, it was reported that the FBI had found little, if any, evidence that January 6 was a coordinated or organized attack between right-wing groups or supporters of former President Trump. While some of the rioters are charged with conspiracy for acting in tandem with others during the riot, there's no evidence thus far that it was a large-scale coordinated act of sedition or insurrection. So I kind of wanted to double down on that um, and also uh, add a little context and reason uh, why we believe that. Next week will be the final episode of season one for Diakonos Cups Calling. Lauren joined me for the very first episode uh, of this podcast when we kicked it off earlier this year, back in February. So it seemed fitting that she uh, close out the season with me. We're still getting that episode together, but I think you'll really enjoy that close to the season. I'll then be uh, taking a couple months off over the uh, Christmas holiday uh, and Thanksgiving holiday. And my plan is to join, uh, my plan is to start up season two uh, at some point in January 2022. However, if you are a patron of the podcast, we will be doing a live episode. Gary and I will be doing a live episode uh, at some point, the very end of November, beginning of December. And uh, more information will be coming out uh, to you about that if you are a patron. All right, two unnamed officers from Greenfield Police Department just outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin, are this week's kicking up the dust in pursuit recipients. The male officer in this situation survived being shot multiple times, and the female officer involved 
probably helped save his life by getting a tourniquet on his leg after he was shot. This happened on August 22nd and the entire incident is still under investigation by the Milwaukee County Area Investigative Team. Take a, take a listen to this report by NBC News. I'll have some thoughts and points to make uh, after it's over. Now with a deadly exchange of gunfire between a suspect and police just outside of Milwaukee, police releasing some of the footage, including the moment one of the officers was struck. Vaughn Hilliard has a story and a warning. The video you're about to see is graphic. Horrific newly released footage out of Milwaukee County shows a police account of an encounter, including disturbing exchange of gunfire that left a man dead and an officer critically wounded. Let me see that right hand! Shot fire, shot fire, shot fire, shot fire! Please don't let me die. I'm begging you. The driver, 31 year old Tyron Lamb. The video appears to show leading police on a high-speed chase after driving through a red light. After initially pulling over, Lamb took off. He avoided spike strips thrown into the road, evading police before flying full speed into an intersection, slamming into another car. Two officers approach. The video appears to show the officers yelling at Lamb to put up his hands. 18 times. Get more squads here now. Well, distracted by a bystander, the officer is yelling at her to back up. Back up! We're in pursuit! But then police say this happens. Put your hands up now! Let me see that right hand! The male officer is struck in the face and chest. Shot fire, shot fire, shot fire, shot fire! I'm hit! I'm hit! With his car door open, Lamb turns and then fires at the female officer. Just yards away, she scrambles. He then flees in the direction of the male officer who is already wounded. The two exchange gunfire within inches of each other. The injured officer can be heard pleading for his life. Please don't let me die. Sit down. Please don't let me die, okay? Sit down. I'm hitting the hand. I'm hitting the chest. I'm hitting chest. the face. Police did not release the entirety of their footage. Their reasoning, the case is still being investigated. But Lamb's mother, Nisha, insisting to NBC News tonight that she wants it unedited and full tape to be released. Don't the unedited version, not clipped versions of it. Everybody, the public want to see it, see it just like I do. Police footage appears to show Lamb running from the scene. He's running, he's running. Police say they were eventually able to catch up to the suspect again, fatally shooting him. The police chief crediting the unnamed officers. What you'll see in this video is the kind of dangers officers face every day. You will see their bravery, their heroism. All right, Vaughn Hillier joins us now in studio. So Vaughn, we saw that very dramatic footage. I know you spoke with the suspect's mother and there are still a lot of questions tonight because she says this is not the full story. And in your story, we did not see the final moments of the suspect being shot. Right, we saw him running away from police, but the video that the police department did not release was that video in which they shot and killed him. Of course, you're talking to a grieving mother. This video took more than a month for them to release. And to her point, it's not the full video. It is only edited clips here. That officer was shot in was in critical condition. We're told he is recovering at home. But again, though, that mother calling for the full unedited video to be released. And the police wanted to release this much because they wanted to correct some of the record. Exactly. This was more than a month again. And of course, there's heightened attention when we're hearing about particularly black men that are being shot by police here in Milwaukee. This was, of course, of a concern point. And that is why they said that they wanted to, quote, correct any misinformation or leads that people were going off of. And they said that this video does just that. But still, questions remain tonight. All right, Vaughn, we thank you for that report. 
Okay, in reference to the officer telling the suspect to show his hand 18 times, that's a no-win situation for that officer, for sure. Officers don't want to shoot an unarmed suspect, but at what point do you consider this a deadly threat? A suspect who flees and then does not follow commands with a gun legally pointed at him by a police officer is just not normal. Why is someone who has fled the police and now has a gun pointed at him not compliant? These are questions that officers have to ask for sure. Watching the video, uh, I thought of several different tactical considerations that the officer could have done uh, differently. And I'm sure any good officer in a situation like that goes back, rehashes that event over and over again in their head and realizes that there's things they could have done better or differently. But it's really a no-win situation for an officer uh, because they're giving multiple commands. They're legally uh, at that point allowed to be pointing their gun at a person and a person who's not compliant who has a gun pointed at them just is not normal behavior. Something bad is going on there and uh, is about to happen. Regarding the bystander issue on the video, you see a bystander approach and begin to harass the officers. At different points during the video, both officers are distracted by her and even have to engage with her, either talking to her and or looking at her. Uh, at different points in the at different points in the video, while you can't hear what she's saying, you can tell by her body language that she is not there to support them uh, and what they are doing. And so she becomes a true concern for the officers because they don't know does she know this person? Is she also here to try to harm us? To purposely distract us? What is her reason for being here? She interjected herself into uh, a dangerous situation, and she made the uh, situation even worse. Regarding the statement by the suspect's mother, I I can hear what the mother is saying. I can't imagine if this was my son, but what she knows about the situation at this point, what she has seen in video, uh, should cause her to question how her son could do something like this and and shy away from questioning the actions of the police, in my opinion. Uh, When I was growing up, if I got in trouble at school, my side didn't matter. The teacher's side mattered. The chances of me being able to plead my case were slim, and the chances of my parents believing my side of the plea were even less. But here we have a video of a suspect shooting at officers and trying to kill them, and yet his motives aren't questioned. Um, There's not even really, it doesn't even appear or sound like there's sorrow from a mother, but just anger and questioning the police actions and implying that they are trying to cover something up because they're not releasing all the video. And again, it's his mother, so I can give her some room for this um, as she's grieving the loss of her son and and angry about it. Uh, But I completely disagree with her and believe she needs to have the ability to also hold her son fully accountable for this event and his eventual death. Throughout the, uh, the news report, there's several comments made by the reporter, this reporter Vaughn or whatever his name is, that really got under my skin. The first, he says, uh, this shows a police account. Well, yes, it it's a press release by the police. They're releasing video, but it's video from in multiple cruisers from multiple officers. It it's an account from their videos, but it is video recording. It's not they're not just handing you a report about what happened. They're actually showing you what happened. Several times he says the video appears to show. Uh, again, I get it. I pick apart a videos, but this video is pretty clear with what you're watching and saying over and over again that the video appears to show. 
I think is disingenuous at best. At one point in the video, he says, the police say this happens. Well, they don't say it's happening. They're actually showing us that it happened. So just little statements by our press to try and color the footage and shed some doubt. We're so used to hearing it. Oftentimes, we don't even pay attention to it. But when you watch a news report, there, there's little statements like this that are, that are meant to, I think, color the footage and try to cause people to think a certain way and manipulate how they're watching and how they're reacting to what they're watching. I mean, we see a violent felon shooting at and trying to kill two police officers. We see it, and yet they don't assume he posed a threat when they found him again. Instead, they question if the police did something wrong or are hiding something. And, and I, just, I, I just think it's a terrible precedent to set. Um, the fact that the unedited video uh, wasn't released, well, quite frankly, unedited video from this event would have been much longer um, because you have multiple officer cameras, multiple officer car cameras, and it would have just required much more video to be released. Even the news agency didn't show everything that was released. When the chief of Greenfield PD gave his press conference, he had a 10-minute press conference with much more video released than what NBC News showed on, their, uh, on the news. So not even NBC News is releasing all the video. And the fact that it took more than a month to release what they did release really means nothing. The video clearly shows officers' faces. And I'm assuming they're, well, not I'm assuming, I know they're trying to protect their identity because they're not naming them. So maybe they were slow to release the video because it clearly shows the officers of the faces and they, and they want to do everything they can to protect their identity. Maybe there's an aspect of the video uh, directly relating to certain aspects of the investigation that they, they can't release. Maybe they are still trying to find witnesses and get statements before they can be impacted or swayed by seeing all the video. Maybe others involved in criminal activity with the suspect uh, that forces them to keep it from the public. Or maybe there's threats to the officers involved. I mean, this happens. I mean, when I worked in Lancaster City, there were several officer-involved shootings where officers were directly threatened afterwards. Their, their lives were threatened. Their, the lives of their families were threatened. And, and police officers actually had to stand guard at their houses uh, after they were involved in shootings because there were threats made uh, toward them and toward their family. So there could be a myriad of reasons why it took a month for this much to be released, and there could be a myriad of reasons that they are still withholding the release of the rest of the video. But nope, it doesn't matter. It must be because the police are hiding something. Never mind, I literally just watched a violent felon try to kill two cops. That's secondary. Uh, The police must be trying to cover something up. And regarding reporter Vaughn's comments about uh, when he said heightened tension with black men being shot by the police uh, here in Milwaukee. I, I guess I would want to ask reporter Vaughn, do you know how many total suspects have been shot and killed by the police in the whole state of Wisconsin this year? According to the Washington Post database, and I might add, the Washington Post is very unfriendly toward the police. There have been six suspects killed by the police in all of Wisconsin in 2021 so far, and only three of them were in the Milwaukee area. One of those three was the black suspect in this cue the dip incident. The other was as listed as a Hispanic suspect, and the third did not have a race listed according to the database. All of them justified shootings by the police, and all the suspects 
uh, were armed with a gun at the time of the shootings. And then I guess I would ask uh, reporter Vaughn, do you know how many homicides in all of Milwaukee so far in 2021? 160, with 94% of the victims being black or brown. There, there, in addition, there will be approximately 3,500 abortions in the Milwaukee area this year. Unfortunately, and disgustingly, abortion is not considered murder in this country, but the stats show that the majority of children being killed via abortion are black and brown. In addition to these stats coming out of Milwaukee, uh, I follow a guy on Twitter, uh, Leonidas Johnson. Leonidas, man, what an awesome first name. I wish I, wish I had a first name like Leonidas. Um, but he has a, a podcast called Informed Dissent. And he also has a web page. He's a great follow on Twitter if you're on Twitter. Um, he has a web page. And on that web page, he has a memorial page for children killed by street violence. Now, listen, these are children under 12 years of age. And so far, according to his research, at least 57 children under 12 years of age have been uh, murdered in 2021. And 55 of them have been black or brown children. In fact, one of them, Tanila Parker, just 11 years old, was shot and killed in Milwaukee on October 2nd when a car pulled up, when a car pulled up beside the one she was in and the suspect started shooting at the occupants in her car. Also injured in that shooting was Tanila's five-year-old sister. Now, I don't know if there's video of, of that homicide. I don't know if there's any video of that actual homicide or video of the area around that homicide, but literally no one is, is screaming and, and yelling and pushing the police to release any video of that. And literally no one even knows about this. I didn't know about it. I had no idea that an 11-year-old a little girl was shot in Milwaukee uh, back on October 2nd. No one knows about it, and no one seems to really care about it. And I'm sure not all of these homi- homicides have video that exists for them, uh, but for the ones that do, where, where is the outcry to release that video um, and, and try to you know, put pressure on the police to solve, to solve those crimes? In fact, it, it seems like our culture barely notices these cases. Some of these children are babies. Some of them are under a year old. Out of that 55, uh, those 55 kids that I said uh, were under 12 that were killed, some of them are under a year old. But this is why BLM and other race-based social justice movements disgust me. They, they don't care. They don't care about all these homicides in Milwaukee, let alone across the nation. They don't care about them. And meanwhile, you have officers, many of them white officers, going into these neighborhoods daily and wading through blood and guts and gore and crying mothers and trying to give aid to these kids and trying to pick up the pieces after it's all over and trying to gather evidence and trying to bring charges against people who have committed these absolutely evil acts. And they're the ones that we call racists. The ones that are actually in the neighborhoods, literally seeing the life go out of people and getting the blood of victims on them as they try to save lives. Officers trying to make a difference and trying to stem the violence, and we call them racists. But our press has no desire to bring light to the main problem uh, and the level of violence in these communities. And where is BLM? Where, where are they, really? They've been strangely quiet lately. And why is that? Well, I think for a couple reasons. One, they were called out several months ago for how their founders are spending the $90 million they made last year. Patrice Cullors, 
uh, spending at least $3 million, uh, Patrice being one of the co-founders, spending at least $3 million on some nice properties which aren't anywhere near any community she claims to care about. Um, BLM makes lots of money by assigning racist motives to police they don't even know, but not caring one iota about any of the 55 kids under 12 killed in the U.S. so far this year. Why not? Well, the suspects in these cases aren't white police officers, or aren't white, most likely, so there isn't money to be made. I think Candace Owens is spot on for the other reason you aren't seeing BLM much this year. While I'm not a huge fanboy of Candace Owens, I do agree with many of the things she says, one being that BLM likes to surface during election years to try and drive votes in a certain direction, especially within the black community. So their guy won the last presidential election, but in 2024, we will likely see a very strong push by them once again to push an idea of systemic racism, especially, again, I believe it's going to be among the police and anyone with conservative values or Christian values. Thankfully, they are quieter right now, and you don't hear much from them, but much damage has already been caused by them. Many have accepted their rhetoric and believe it to be a moral and upright cause. Just recently, I was traveling through a neighborhood and saw several yard signs which said, Love your neighbor. I inwardly groaned because when I see signs such as these, I usually think they are placed to prove to the world that the owner of such sign is morally superior because those that don't subscribe to an activist or social justice mindset are not loving their neighbors. And then after having that thought, I looked closer at the sign and saw along the bottom edge, Black Lives Matter, because that right there proved my point. BLM promotes a morally superior attitude. They care so much about black lives, except they don't. They could care less about a black life, unless, of course, it's a life lost which fits a narrative that they can use to make money and push an ideology that is the antithesis of Christianity. In fact, the police care more about black communities and black lives than BLM. They are not putting up cute signs in their neatly trimmed yards. No. They're actually in the mix, trying to make a difference, and trying to help, and trying to stem the violence, while the ones who claim they care so much absolutely demonize them. It's literal insanity. The past couple of weeks, I was reminded once again that all of us are made in God's image. I was challenged by some sermons I heard, one by my pastor and one by another pastor, and an interaction I had with someone that many would consider less than because of how this person looked, dressed, and the actions committed by that person. Even during the interaction, I was fighting against some of those thoughts in my own mind. The point of all this is that we all come to a perfect holy God as sinners. Not one of us by our actions is righteous or good. Me, a sinner. Patrice Cullors, the co-founder of BLM, sinner. Candace Owens, sinner. Leonidas Johnson, sinner. Every other person I've referenced in this episode, whether by name or not, a sinner. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He made all of us in his image, for sure, a reflection of him. And because we are made in his image, we all matter. But we're still sinners. And we don't matter because of anything we do. We don't matter because of how much money we have. We don't matter because we claim a certain level of victimhood. We don't matter because we do virtuous acts. We don't matter because we hold certain positions or jobs. We matter because we are created in his image. Our identity is in him. We're created by him. And because of him, 
our identity should not be in anything else. While we are not all children of God, we are all made in the image of God, and there is only one way to him, Jesus. In John 14, 4-6, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is talking to his apostle Thomas when he said, And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The way. Not a way, the way. There is no other way to come or be welcomed by God the Father except through Jesus, the truth, not worldly ideas of what's right. But what does the truth of God's word say? In fact, I would say that if your beliefs, ideas, leanings, or ways generally line up with and are accepted by the world, proceed with caution. John 1.10 says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Again, this truth that God created the world, that Jesus was in the world, fully, fully man and fully God, and yet the world did not know him. Luke 12, 51-53 says, Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? This is Jesus speaking. I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The truth of the word held dear by a Christian will not be approved or supported by those who do not believe. In fact, they will hate it. The way, the truth, and finally the life. There is no life in worldly things. There is no life in the social justice movement. There is only division and more to do, and it provides no hope because it relies on people to be perfect. And herein lies the problem with the social justice movement. It has denied the message. It has denied the way. It has decided that what God says in in his word is not nice enough. So, in the spirit of human goodness and care, It has sought to widen the gate. It has sought to soften the truth about sin and promote that there are several ways to God, not just one. It has sought to actually glorify sin and force other people to not only accept it, but promote it and praise it. And by attempting to widen the gate and call that which is sin acceptable, it seeks to empty the power from the gospel which saves us from sin, something we are all guilty of. But if nothing is sin, and we, not God, can decide what justice is, then God is not needed. The power of his gospel is not needed, and those in these movements can pronounce themselves as the most loving, the most tolerant, the most virtuous, when in reality they are drunk on the love of themselves and their alleged good works. The social justice movement and its activists have created a religion of morality, where they espouse what they believe to be truth. They decide who is right and who is wrong. They assign a victimhood and retribution. They deny God because they have decided they know the way and in fact believe they can, in and of themselves, rid the world of sin, pain, and suffering. They deny being made in the image of God and instead promote themselves as gods. There is no life, no hope, 
and no truth within that movement. None. It seeks to divide and destroy and gain power to do as they wish. It identifies and classifies people based on race, ethnicity, economic status, behaviors, sexual sin, and any other way they can think up, except as image bearers of God. Because if they identify people as image bearers of God, then they have to admit they fall short, that they are sinners in desperate need of help from a Savior, that being Jesus. Now you may be thinking, wow, this is all pretty bleak outlook. But it's actually not, because it quickly shows us that we are not capable. Since we are sinners, we are incapable of promoting and carrying out perfect justice. I'm not capable. I can't stand on my own. I can't make it right. I can't stop the madness and insanity. I can't control it. I'm not in control. It shows that people want perfection and they want perfect justice and they want peace. And in that desire for all to be right, we can say that we know there is a better way and we know that there is one capable of making all right. So while BLM and other social justice movements want to make all things right with human power, they directly point to the fact that they can only be made right by God. They prove that there is no such thing as perfect justice and perfect peace and perfect love. They are striving for it with all their might, but they will never reach it. And so therefore it proves that there is such a thing as perfect justice and perfect goodness and perfect righteousness and it's found in God. They're striving for an ideal. And in this struggle for an ideal, and in this striving for an ideal, they're admitting that there is actually an ideal. And that ideal has a name, and his name is Jesus. He has the answers. He provides the way. He provides the way. There is hope. There is peace. There is justice. And it resides squarely on the shoulders of Jesus and through him. If you don't believe, and if you're not a Christian, his way, the way, is open to you. You have only to confess and believe, and you can do that right now in this moment. Months ago, I had a dear friend of mine tell me that he was envious of my faith. He can have this faith. You can have this faith. It's not just for certain people. All have sinned and all can be saved if they confess and believe. If you've got questions, just hit me up, diakonosacc at gmail.com. I'd love to start a conversation with you if you have questions about any of that. All of us uh, could definitely use an identity adjustment. And for those in law enforcement, you are more than law enforcement officers. It doesn't define you. And if it does, you will be in for a heap of pain and suffering when you leave the job. Pursue the one who created you and defines you. And in that, you will find the peace and ability to kick up the dust in pursuit every single day, despite all the noise.